Welcome to the Reform Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Dudick, and I'm here with my co-host, Angela Jacobs. We are talking to you and with you about the Salem witch trials and all the nasty witch hunts that are still going on today. We're also going to explore the laws in place at the time of the witch trials, how they really proved those cases or didn't prove them. And then we're going to talk about some of the modern day things that we have going on today. On the last episode... We talked about what Salem, Massachusetts looked like in 1692 and 1693 when these witch trials occurred. We talked about women's place in that society and also how the witch trials are really a way to target those who live on the fringes of society and get rid of them. Today we're going to explore more of the details about how the Salem witch trials happened who started them, who the accusers were, and who they targeted as the accused. The Salem Witch Trials occurred from between June of 1692 to May of 1693. So that's a long time ago. I wanted to see really what was going on before we ended up in Salem with the murdering of all these people. So. I went, I, I looked at what's going on with the witch hunts. So it turns out, I didn't know this. Did you know this? That witch hunts actually had been going on for hundreds of years before the Salem witch trials ever happened. I did know it. They've been going on since the 1300s. Yeah, maybe even earlier than that. That's like over 800 years ago from today. It's just crazy to think about that length of time. But there was, like you said, they've been going on since the 1300s. Well, and that's and that's the documented ones. I mean, look at Adam and Eve. That was a witch hunt, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, if you go, if you want to get biblical, I mean, the Garden of Eden was kind of a witch hunt, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, it kind of was. I mean, women have always been the one who have been seen as subservient to men, and it's always about blaming the women. It's always about blaming the women for the men thing. Not that we hate men, but this is that's what it sounds like, right? <laughs> not the case. I love men. <laughs> yeah, love men. We're not really talking about, and I haven't really looked at a lot about the ones in other places besides Europe. So the ones in Salem kind of grew out of that, but witch hunts do go on in other, you know, other countries, other continents. Um, but what we saw in Salem really grew out of those European ones. When we're looking at Europe, the witch hunts primarily occurred in countries like Germany, France, Switzerland, and Northern Ireland. Do you have any idea how many people were actually accused during that time that we can even estimate of witchcraft? It was over 100,000 people. We're looking at wow. at least 110,000 people and somewhere between 40 and 60,000 were killed. So it was just another way to Basically, get rid of somebody you don't like, accuse them of witchcraft, make up some sort of test, and then turn the town against them and kill them. Looks like the last known execution for witchcraft that was verified occurred in Switzerland as part of these witch hunts in 1782. And that was the last one with somebody in Switzerland. I was a little startled about the Switzerland thing. Because um, they seem so nice in Switzerland. They do seem nice in Switzerland. <laughs> I think I'm uh -huh. Alps and cocoa. I know, I do too. I do too. Yeah, I absolutely do too. 
So what do you think of when you think of a witch? Well, I mean, there's the obvious that, you know, somebody with supernatural powers, but we don't hear about warlock hunts, do we? Isn't that interesting? I mean, there there are some men who have been killed as accused to be witches, but usually it's because of the women they're associated with. It's like somebody's brother or somebody's husband. Yeah. You know, supernatural powers. Um, I mean, I know witches have been linked to the devil, but there's also, you know, here the elusive white witch, right? That is a good power. I've never, I don't think I've ever been called a witch. I've definitely called a bitch. And to me, that means you're a powerful woman or you're a woman that's different and you can't, um, and people can't categorize you in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, you said uh, a witch who uses their power for good, a white witch. I was listening to another podcast. I think it was that spooky. If you don't listen to it, you should. The two guys are hilarious. They were talking about, um, I think it was them talking about like witches and magic and how it's really racist the way we've been raised to think about it. Cause we think of white magic as good, just like the white cowboy is good, but then like the black witches are bad or the, the bad people in like Westerns will wear, wear black hats. Hmm, and they said, you know, we, when we think about it, we should try and, and just shift away from that and start thinking of good magic and bad magic. Cause that's all you know, what you use it for. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really realized that, that yeah. in those terms, I hadn't thought of it like that. Well, I think it's implicit bias, right? It is implicit bias. And I just did it myself. So well, I mean, that's what we're raised with though. That's what we've been raised with. And we're, you know, we recognize it and we're like, oh, that's implicit bias. We didn't even think about. So when I think of a witch, I think of like, cause I have, you know, little kids still. And I think of like the little pointy hat witches and those little, little cute ones, but it's always somebody with supernatural powers. So I was kind of curious what, you know, what are they looking for in these witch hunts that they were conducting in Europe and in Salem? And so the witches that they were looking at is that they were people who believed they had traded their soul with Satan in exchange for his assistance in accomplishing their devilish deeds, which I think is hilarious. But then some of the things that the witches were thought to do would be changing from being a human into an animal form. They didn't really say which animal form, but I guess you could pick the animal you like. By a black hat, right? Yeah, or or a bat, maybe. Bat, maybe. I think those are vampires, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. But maybe (laughs) maybe you could become a cat or an owl. I'd want to be a cheetah, you know? (laughs) Okay, well, that's... I don't know. Maybe you could be anything, right? I'd want to be a manatee, but... I mean, hey, they're not exactly exciting animals, but they get to lay on the, the, the sea and eat and have a bunch of babies. I'd be okay with being a manatee. A witch turning into a manatee. Might not be witchy. <laughs> Maybe put a hat on it, an underwater hat, a little witch hat on a manatee. I like that. I'm down with that. They would also, these witches would also use demons to do their bidding. So, you know go go to my to my lot grocery shopping clean my house that i would use a demon to do all of that can you do my grocery shopping can you clean my house can you please go pick up my teenagers from the four places that they are right now please go mow my yard i don't want to deal with it the demon would be rolling in my audi like yeah (laughs) getting your kid and then these witches i sent the demon to pick you up today hope that's okay They'd be like, yeah, we'll just call him. I don't know. 
What's a good demon name? Nefafarisissa. <laughs> Hi, Nefafarisissa. Thanks for picking me up from the football Thanks game. For picking me up from the football game. Get in the car, kids. Put your seatbelt on. That's right. Mom said no eating in the car. Get that burrito out of the car. Ignore my horns and my pointed tail. And the smell of sulfur that comes everywhere. I have a sunroof. I have a sunroof. It's all fine. My it's sunroof all actually goes all the way through my car. Oh, that works. That's that works. <laughs> so the other thing that the witches use is they would have like animals as familiars. So, you know, like your dog, your cat, birds. So that's kind of what they decided was a witch. If you fit any of those categories, or if people were just ticked at you because you weren't following the norms of society, and that was kind of the kicker as to who was a witch, especially in Salem that we're going to talk about. All right. So, so now we're switching to Salem. Salem, Massachusetts. Imagine it. 1692. It's full of Puritans. It was, there was a really kind of two parts of Salem. There was a bustling commerce port. It was called Salem Town. And then there was another side with a small, poor farming community, and it was known as Salem Village. And as with any good story, there were also two families who were like the real powerful families there. There were the porters, and these were the ones in Salem Town who were connected with wealthy merchants. And then there were the Putnams. And these were more the voice of the farm families, and they wanted uh, more independence for them as well as for Salem Village. So they lived in Salem Village, the Putnams did, and the Porters were in Salem Town with the wealthy, wealthy merchants. So that's kind of what we have here. Women, of course, in this society really only had a position and were judged by their interactions with men. They didn't really have much of their own independence, and any independent woman not much has changed here. Any independent woman was seen as a threat to male domination and the patriarchal system and structure of the puritanical society that existed in Salem. You know, like today. You get a strong independent woman to speak her mind and suddenly she's vilified. So much has changed. So much has changed. So much has changed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and here we are 400 years later and <laughs> and here we are 400 years later back to Salem, Massachusetts 400 years ago so this family in Salem Village which was the smaller village it was the farm, farm families and the ones that the Putnam family was with so we're talking about the Puritans right and how they looked at women. I really didn't know a lot about the Puritans, so I kind of looked it up some. Yeah, I don't either, so educate me, please. Yeah. Well, you're not going to like it. The Puritan... <laughs> right not. No. The Puritan, their, their organizations, they basically treated women as disposable, and they were really unforgiving, unforgiving to women who did not serve the needs of men and the men's positions in the hierarchy in the Puritan community in Salem. So basically women are there to please men, you follow our rules or we're going to ostracize you. So that's the, this is where we're at. Women couldn't really own property when property was passed on. If a woman was married, it would pass on to her male heirs. The man could try and do, do that um, through his will. 
women really they did couldn't um, work much they didn't have many skills i don't know how well schooled they were but i would guess not really so um that's where we're looking at nothing like keeping a half of the country down and under your thumb so welcome mm -hmm. to salem we have this putnam family in salem village again the smaller salem salem village was a small farm community and in 1689 they decided they wanted to bring a pastor to their local church and so they um, pulled in this guy called Samuel Paris. Paris, you know, kind of like the, the city, but not really. It's spelled P-A-R-R-I-S. So like Paris, but not half as cool. He was a merchant originally from Barbados. And he decided to come to Salem and he would be pastor at this church. He brought his wife, three kids, a niece, and then two people who were enslaved to him so he brought two slaves and they are thought to be from barbados but there are kind of conflicts and sources about if they're from barbados or if they're from africa or the caribbean but most of the sites say barbados so that's what we're going with this guy rolls into town samuel paris pastor of the local church and it's important to kind of note what's going on with him because he brought two people with him who i said were slaves and one of them, the enslaved woman, there was a man and a woman, and her name was uh, Tituba. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Do you know if it's pronounced otherwise? I don't. Yeah. So she's important to kind of what ends up happening here. So he has these two people who probably don't want to be with him, but they are forced to because of slavery. And she's important to what ends up happening in Salem and how this all gets started. So leading up to the witch trials, let's kind of stop, talk about that now, how this all starts. We already talked about women not having a lot of rights, being subservient to men. But what happened to start the uh, witch frenzy in Salem is that Pastor Paris's daughter, she was, her name's Elizabeth or Betty, as she was called. She was nine years old and he had his niece with him also named Abigail Williams. And she was 11. And then they hung out with a girl named Ann Putnam Jr. So one of the Putnams. She was 12. They all started acting out. And so what do you think it was like for them to act out in the, in the 1600s? They were reported as being juvenile delinquents. Like this is a sign of juvenile delinquency. What do you think they were doing? Teenagers and acting out against the norms. I mean, it's, isn't that a teenager thing to do? Yeah. They, they began doing fortune telling. Oh, I know, which I think sounds fun. Kind of like the Ouija board, kind of like. Yes, but it wasn't the Ouija board. And I don't think Ouija boards had been invented yet. That's actually a, a later thing that came about with the spiritualist mm -hmm. movement. Mm -hmm. Anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, so they started digging into fortune telling in the 1690s or so. And that's, I guess, what juvenile delinquency is, 1690s. And eventually. So much, it's not like you can steal a car. I know, still, I mean, go hang out with boys. No, <laughs> you were limited. You were limited in your juvenile delinquency in this. Right. I mean, at least they weren't arsonists burning things down or something or pulling the wings off of uh, flies or hurting small animals. I'm like, fortune telling. But, you know, they also are girls, so they're probably treated a little differently. Betty is nine, Abigail is 11 the daughter and the niece, and they begin having what is called having fits, which 
is such a quaint term. It's just so charming. Having fits. Like, what is Don't you think that's still used now, though? <laughs> you know, you know what? Have you ever been called hysterical? Yes. You know? Yes. Or being told to calm down. Just calm down. Mm, I love that one. Or she's acting hysterical. You ever heard of a man being called hysterical? No, never. Huh? Mm -hmm. No. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, there are some origins behind that word. I'm about the least hysterical person in the world, too. So the one time I was told I was being told I was hysterical, I'm like, you want to see hysterical? I can get there. I can I mean, get it. It'll take me a minute. It'll and a lot more than your input to do that. <laughs> well, the abortion protesters make me hysterical. Your comments do not. <laughs> okay, so I don't know that we use having fits as a clinical term anymore, though. I would say no, because it is a clinical term. But haven't you heard it in everyday parlance, though? Like, yeah. oh, she's having a fit about that. Oh yeah, she's overreacting. She's having a fit. She's mm -hmm. acting out. You know, and it actually, social media is a great way for. I've seen, you know, I'm involved in politics, and I've seen a lot of women being characterized in really nasty ways on social media because of how they behave when when actually they're just probably behaving in an appropriate way to the way they've been treated or the things that they're seeing and sure. and i've seen men respond to that not happy with it and just and really attack them and it gets really old really quick just just stop anyone who's listening who does that all right okay but they also threw things contorted their bodies which makes me think of yoga but I assume it was like not yoga and it was like the contortions that would look strange and um, painful. They screamed and they also said like they felt like they were being pinched or bit and they made strange, odd sounds. So that's what they were doing when they were having their fits. But in modern times, we would hopefully rely upon science and not blame us on witchcraft. In modern times, it looks like the girls... If you actually, if something actually was happening with them, which, you know, maybe this was all made up, but if something was happening, it could have been something more like what looks like scholars have said could be related to epilepsy, which definitely would explain some of the fits could have been asthma. If they were having problems breathing or were making strange sounds or encephalitis that can also cause uh, problems. Maybe child abuse, like they were reacting because of some sort of trauma they had suffered. Or even Lyme disease is something that is, has been identified, thank you, ticks, as something that could be have caused this. But then there was also that they could be having delusional psychosis, where they were, you know, psychotic, or convulsive ergotism. Have you ever heard of that before? I've never heard of that before. But I have heard of the theory that they're eating food that was um, maybe rye bread that was pollinated by something that was somewhat LSD. Yes, that is exactly what that is. Convulsive ergotism, that blames what happens on rye bread or cereal. They're not mm -hmm. talking about regular rye. I guess this occurs, convulsive ergotism occurs when a person eats the bread or cereal infected with the, it's a fungus called ergot. And if you're wondering what it is, you just said what it is. Think of LSD or acid. So basically, they're eating bread or cereal that's been laced with acid. If you could imagine that. So that would be interesting, especially for somebody in the 1600s who has no idea what's going on. 
if that indeed happened. It, I, it sounds like a more plausible um, connection than, you know, everybody having epilepsy or if they're all eating together, they're in the same colony. It's, it, it has to be something that you would think would infect them that they've all shared in. And I don't, I don't know biology. I don't know the, you know, how that would occur. I mean, is that the same as, you know, food poisoning? Like families eat, we got, we got it the other day and, you know, we all ate up the same dish and we were like, oh, dying next day. It seems plausible. I mean, it does. It, it, and it seems like that coupled with some teenage hysteria. I mean, and not, I'm not saying female hysteria. I have boys. They're just as weird. Yeah. You know, but that coupled with the drama of the teenage years. Well, it's definitely possible that that could have happened to the first two girls. And, you know, it could have caused them to choke, vomit, hallucinate, have fits, feel like something's crawling on your skin. So that could have happened with the first two, right? But then this spread to people throughout the community and it spread over time and it spread over distance. And so it becomes, it looks like it becomes a lot less likely that everyone had ergot poisoning or, and it's not like the, the poisoning can spread from one person to the other, like, you know, a cold or COVID. It wasn't like that. So it could have started that way. But I think, you know, probably what happened, and we'll talk about this later on, I think we'll see who was targeted. And it seems like there might have really been some scapegoating here and everything that happened. For Betty and Abigail, the doctor, the local medical doctor, he couldn't explain anything. So he's like, it's the supernatural. It's witches. Could you imagine if people did that now? Like you go to the doctor. They're like, it's not a bladder infection. It's the supernatural. You're like, no, it's really a bladder infection. You're like, really? I swear it is. <laughs> yeah. Worth looking at this year. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, I, but I mean, what other explanation did they have, really? I, but I mean, that's, I don't know that that's exactly fair. I mean, maybe they were giving, maybe they were giving people the explanation that they wanted to hear. Who knows? I mean, he could have been. I mean, maybe he was like, oh, you know, this is probably grounded in biology or something they ate or something else but hey how popular do you look in a puritan committee or yeah i mean there's a vested interest there there definitely is and these are girls also they are the daughter and the niece of the local pastor who was pretty hardline on his puritanical beliefs and you know we've already talked about how they're pretty strict anyway so people would want to please him betty and abigail right their symptoms not explained doctors like supernatural and that was pretty common in that time if they couldn't, they didn't have hard science yet to really explain things. So to help treat this, the nice enslaved woman, who again, probably doesn't want to be there, but she's being forced to it. Tichuba made a witch cake at the suggestion of a neighbor to try and identify who the person was using the supernatural to harm the girls. Do you know what a witch cake is? Because I had no idea. No, I don't. <laughs> okay, well, don't ever eat one if somebody offers it to you. Don't eat a witch cake. Not some people are taking it. No. <laughs> oh, this is so gross, man. A witch cake is made from the urine of the victims of the poisoning. Oh, God. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. I thought you just were like, it's a really bad Albertson's cake with too much sugary frosting that you're not going to want to put in your body. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't aware it involved urine. 
go. And no, and no shade on Albertsons because I've gotten a lot of good cakes there for my kids. Yeah, no shade on Albertsons either. Although I don't like a lot of sugary frosting either, but I definitely I don't like anything yeah. with the urine of anyone in it. No, no, I prefer the sugary frosting. Even if that's more calories. I know. I know. Okay, yeah. So this witch cake, I guess making it and eating it, because then you have to eat it. You don't just get to make it. So what I guess, else does it involve except for urine? Is it like flour and butter? I mean, it's, it's well, kind of well, you bake more than I do. And what all goes into a cake? Flour, sugar, butter? Urine. <laughs> urine. Not typically. Not so much urine ever. Baking soda, baking powder, depends on how fluffy. Well, huh. I doubt this yeah. one. Fluffy. Urine is a mystery agreement that I like. I would be like, oh, how much do you urine do? <laughs> like, I don't, it's not my recipe box, Kim. <laughs> oh, yes, your recipe box. It would be under U, U for urine. <laughs> well, it should be under C for cake or W for witch cake. Alphabetize your recipe box, okay? <laughs> All right. Like a quarter cup, half a cup? No. No. Has to be more than a drop. So <laughs> eating the cake provided no answers to what was happening with the girls. But it did serve a purpose. It probably nauseated the person who ate it. <laughs> it also served the purpose of angering the pastor because he was mad about this. So he's also the father of one of the girls and the, the uncle for the other one. Because he saw this witch cake, I assume the making of it and the eating of it as a blasphemous act. He's probably like, ooh, witchcraft, trying to detect the supernatural. That's bad. So I agree with the pastor at this point. I wouldn't really call it blasphemous. I would just call it poor taste. Eating a pea cake? Yeah, and probably a little unclean because urine is not sterile like everyone says. It may be, a, anyway, gross and don't put it in a cake. Don't put your peanut cake, okay? You should not put in a cake. <laughs> There's probably a lot of them, but that's right. Well, it is right. It's one of them. Top 10. <laughs> Top 10 for sure. So he pressures the two little girls, right? They're little girls, 9 and 11. He pressures them to them like they know to identify who has been tormenting them. So these two girls, 9 and 11, the father to one of them and the uncle to the other, in a sheltered puritanical village being pressured by the local pastor who's pretty powerful they of course don't fail to please him and give him some names because that's probably what they've been programmed to do little betty and abigail point the finger at three women who would be considered probably as marginalized of society and those with less power than others now join us next time on the Reform Podcast to talk about who was accused and what happened next. Hope you're enjoying this. And if you have any questions for us or want us to talk about anything in particular, please shoot us an email at thereformpod at gmail.com. We want to fully thank and recognize our sources and their work. A full list is on our website, thereformpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to the Reform Podcast. Before you go, same song and dance as before, we would love to have your input. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Let us know what you think. Your voice really matters. The Reform Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Kimberly Dudick, and my special co-host, Angela Jacobs. 
You can follow the Reform Podcast and stay up to date on Instagram at the Reform Podcast, on Facebook at the Reform Podcast, on Twitter at the Reform Pod. Our theme song is Be Mine, one of my favorites, by Missoula, Montana musician Tom Catmull. We're making this show on and around the traditional lands of the Salish, Pondere, Kootenai, Shoshone, Blackfeet, Chinook, and Multnomah peoples, and many other Native tribes. With deep respect, we acknowledge the Indigenous people of the West and throughout the United States and the world. Wherever you are, thank you for listening, and until next time, keep searching for justice. You are what it needs most Be mine